0: So, dumb things smart Christians believe. And what we're going to do today is I want to talk to you about not just what Christians believe, that are ideas that are half-truths or misconceptions, but specifically today, dumb things that smart pastors believe. Um, Dumb things smart pastors believe. Uh, Believe it or not, pastors have some misconceptions that affect the way they think and operate, and the way they think and operate has a massive impact on their congregations. And I want to share with you today three big things that over the years since we started this church, I had to confront some misconceptions, misunderstandings about a very interesting topic that right now is all over the news. It's all over the news. I mean, we had Black Friday, We had Buy Local Saturday. Did you guys know that that's a thing now? And then tomorrow will be Cyber Monday. And we're talking a whole lot about money and spending and all that sort of thing. And there's probably no topic that raises the concern, the um, anxiousness level of a pastor than the topic of, of money. Because the assumption that pastors have about money is that nobody wants to hear about it. Nobody wants to talk about it. And so around here for 10 years, we have a couple of guiding principles that help us talk about money. Here's one thing that we do around here. We, We try to talk about what God wants for a person more than we talk about what God wants from a person when we talk about money. Because when you read your Bible, in the book of Proverbs, all the way through Jesus' teachings, when Paul's trying to expand on the teachings of Jesus and make it clear what it looks like in the local church context, there's more language about God's heart for us in the topic of money than there ever is about what God wants from us. So around here, what we've done is we put on symposiums, we help people who are in debt get training. We do all kinds of counseling around Financial management. We put tools in place. We've done message series. I went back and counted this week over 10 years. We've done about 12 different message series and a series of individual standalone messages on money. And 85% of those had nothing to do with what you give to the church. They had everything to do with how to manage what God is blessing you with. And so, what we want more than what we want from you is we want you to understand God's heart for you in the matter. Here's the other thing we've done we've tried to be very, very candid and clear so that no confusion comes up or more importantly no guilt motivation happens see in churches this topic of money isn't just an anxious producing topic for pastors it produces anxiety in individuals who come and hear pastors talk and so what we've tried to do is make sure that there's no guilt motivation going on at all but that hasn't prevented us from talking candidly about it. And so for the next just few minutes, I want to talk with you candidly about money at four corners and three big misconceptions I had. And I'm gonna promise you, you don't need to put on your seatbelt. You're not going in for a bumpy ride. Nobody's gonna guilt motivate you. I'm not trying to get you to empty your wallets today. None of that sort of thing. But I want us to do what we've done with all these other topics that have misconception in them. But they're, they're rife for that at least. I want us to just lay it on the table and talk openly and honestly about it. And to get started, I want to share with you the first misconception that I, uh, that, that I thought about. All right, so here's the first one is that um, I shouldn't talk about money. That's, a, that's a, an idea that has been in the back of my mind. I shouldn't talk about money because people really don't want to give. That's the myth that I struggled with is people don't want to give. When I started out in this church, I thought that people held onto their money like really tight and they don't want to give it to God or his work. But in 10 years, of doing pastor work, what I've discovered, and I don't know if it's different in other churches. I can't explain what another church does, all right? But in our church, what I've discovered is people actually enjoy giving. They actually enjoy giving back to God a portion of what He's blessed them with. It's almost as if they have the idea that God has blessed them with more than they need, and since He's blessed them with more than they need, they're going to give a portion of that back to Him. Now, this was a new concept for me, because I had that idea that if we talked openly and honestly about money occasionally over the life of this church, that what would happen is it would drive people away. But what I've discovered is that in years of doing this is that just the opposite is true. People like to give, but they don't want to be guilted. They don't want to be strong-armed. They don't want to have somebody put the spiritual vice on them and you know squeeze until they, they write that check. And so understanding that has brought to me a certain amount of freedom as we've begun to deal with the misconception. L- l- let, me, let me put it to you in a kind of a clear sentence. Here it is. What I have found is that Christians, like Four Corners people at least, aren't really satisfied with their giving. And for many of them believe it's a weakness upon which they'd like to improve. So, so let, me, let me give it, like this happened this week. I had a conversation with a guy that said, I was at this other church a few months ago and we've been coming to Four Corners lately And the reason I left the other church is that church went into a building program and like every single week, all they talked about was money. It's all they talked about. And and over time, um, I began to feel like that's really all they wanted from me. And he said, and besides, my family's going through a rough time anyway, and while I have a high desire, I really couldn't even do what I wanted to do, and here we are, it seems to be all that we're talking about, and it just makes going to church not enjoyable he, he actually used uh, an, an image that I've heard other people use. He said, it's like if I go to the golf course on Sunday morning, which, by the way, you shouldn't do. If I go to the golf course on Sunday morning, the last thing I want to do is experience all kinds of drama on the playing field. I don't want to experience all kinds of drama with other people playing, long waits, frustrated people, because I go there to relax. I don't want to go to church and experience all kinds of drama and tension around an area where I'm already feeling drama and tension in my own life. So as we talked, it became clear that this guy's heart was in the right place. This guy wanted to do the right thing. And this is what I've discovered. Now, this was surprising to me. Because I came into this believing that money would be this thing we'd hold on to like this. But just the opposite is what I've experienced. People are generous, but there is a lot of tension. And a lot of people feel awkward about this subject. Here's the good news for today. One of the things we want for you today is is that you leave here feeling a little less tension around money. Because we we don't want to guilt motivate, spiritually strong arm, or convince somebody to do something that you don't already want to do. When I used to teach high school, I was a chaplain at a private school and on occasion I would give the message about three times a month uh, in our weekly chapel service. And sometimes we deal with topics that are specific to teenagers and uh, things they're going through in life and so about every year we would do the sex series where I would talk to them about God's plan and intention for, for sexuality. And after a couple of years of doing it what I discovered was is that um, a lot of the guys and girls in the room really wanted to understand God's heart on the matter. And they were really trying to live lives worthy of being called a Christ follower, but they were struggling. They needed tools to know how to do that. And so rather than getting up and convincing them they should obey God in this area, I started talking to people who were willing and wanting to do it anyway. And that kind of lifted the lid on our conversation. It became less about convincing people to do something they didn't want to do and more about encouraging people to do what they already wanted to do. And this was a learning I had with money here in this place here's the truth is that many of us are entangled by debt and need help and so when it comes to the topic of money we have a hard time being objective clear or without a lot of tension and anxiety and that's okay i I know this about the area we live in where a lot of us are dual income families husband and wife working and we have a lot of debt load for a lot of us our houses our cars credit cards and honestly as a pastor this breaks my heart Because financial bondage, and there's no better time of year for us to be talking about this. Financial bondage has an incredibly negative impact on marriages, on parenting relationships with children, and a person's enjoyment of their life. And so every year, one of the things I encourage you to do is don't go into significant debt buying gifts for people. Don't do that. One of the greatest gifts you can give your family is a certain amount of tension-free living around the idea of money. And so going into debt, running up credit cards at this time of the year, no matter how much the marketing is pushing you to do it, really runs against the spirit of what Christmas is all about anyway. You ever think about that? Christmas is the only birthday we celebrate where rather than giving gifts to the person whose birthday it is, we go out and give gifts to everybody else who was invited to the party. Right? Right? So like years ago, my kids started getting invited to birthday parties. I have four children and something interesting happened. It never happened when I was a kid. When I was a kid, you went to a birthday party and you bought a single gift for the boor- birthday boy or girl. But when my kids go and now when we throw parties, there's a new reality happening in the culture. And that is, of course, you still buy the gift for the boor- birthday girl or boy. But everybody else who comes to the party gets a little gift bag. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. It's the dumbest thing, because you don't want the kids who didn't get a gift to feel bad, and so there's pressure on parents. So, so we, guess what we do? Here's what we do. We gave into the culture completely, so we totally play along with that, but think about that with Christmas. It's the birthday of Jesus, and yet what the culture is encouraging us to do is go out and buy gifts for everybody else who is invited to the party, but what I discovered with Four Corners people, and one of the reasons why our Christmas offering is so awesome is that we rally around the spirit of what this is all about. And it reminds me of a passage in Second Corinthians chapter 9. This is the Apostle Paul trying to live out the teachings of Jesus and the life of a local church. And one of the things he had to do was collect money. And I, it sounds like when you read Paul on collecting money for God's work, he's no more comfortable with it than any other pastor I've ever met. Like, you know, some pastors, it seems like to me, and I'm so jealous, they can sneeze and people write checks. I don't... I don't know how that happens. I've, I've never, never like, you know, experienced that kind of thing. It seems like Paul had a certain amount of tension around it as well. But the people that Paul was writing to in the church at Corinth here, they seem to like get it in, in the same way that I think people around here get it. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 2, Paul writes these words. For I know your eagerness to help. Like, I know you want to help people. And here's the help that they were requiring the people back in Jerusalem were struggling. They were hung, going hungry. There was a famine. And so there was the work of the ministry that needed to be done to help pay for the food as well as the travel expenses and the ministry expenses associated with ministering to the group back in Jerusalem where the church originally started. And Paul writes to the Corinthian church, I know you're eager to help. In fact, I've been boasting about your eagerness to help to the church at Macedonia, to the Macedonians. And I've been telling them that since last year, you and a KI were ready to give and I've been telling them about your enthusiasm and it's it stirred them up to action. Your giving has stirred up other people to give because you seem eager to want to help. That's exactly what I've experienced here. People seem to be eager to want to help. Now, of course, not everybody can. Some people are stuck. Some people don't understand why we do what we do. Some people come in a little wounded from other church experiences where money seems to be the topic du jour, you know, every single Sunday. And it's left them a little scarred, so they come to a place like this, maybe at a time of year at Christmas when we're talking about our Christmas gift and the money we're doing here, near, and far, and and it rubs them a little wrong. But for most of us, what I've discovered is, is that contrary to the myth that people don't want to give in fact what they do enjoy doing is giving to something they believe in so the truth is i've been saying it this way people want to give but like all matters of spiritual growth there's a real struggle to obey for some people people want to but there's a real spiritual battle that has to be kind of fought and won over this issue now it's interesting that jesus did talk more about money than he did about prayer because it seems like for Jesus, the number one competitor for a person's heart was stuff. So it's not really just the dollars and cents, or in Jesus' day, the, the denarii. What, what it really seems to be is what, that, what we think that those dollars and cents give us. The stuff, the security, the sense of importance, the sense of identity. And Jesus said all that stuff over time will crowd out the work of God in your heart. And a few weeks ago, we talked about how bitterness will crowd out God. Well the clamoring and the grasping for stuff will do the same thing. So Jesus talked a lot about it. So at the root, it seems like discussions around money, what you're going to do with money, let's talk about that, how you're going to spend it, how you're going to save it, how you're going to be a steward of what God's blessed you with, what portion of it you're going to get back, all those seem to be really at the core spiritual issues. And again, just a little surprise here, is while it's true that there seems to be some people who are consumed with the sin of greed, there, there are a few of those. But I have discovered in church not really that many. If that's you, let me just say what you should do. You should like repent, you should start giving, and you should probably stay out of church leadership. Because there's just no room for greed in church leadership. That, that always leads to trouble. Whether it's a pastor who's greedy, or, or a church board who is consumed with money more than they are the vision and mission of God. Greed just has no room For church leadership but i discovered most people in the pew aren't greedy here's what i've discovered for most people it's fear not greed that's the real barrier to their giving that's like the guy i was talking to you that look we're struggling and i want to but if i do i'm concerned that i won't make it over here and then he was like was honest and said look the only reason we're in the struggle over here is because of bad decisions we made but still i've got to live with that reality Man, I appreciate that kind of honesty, the ability to talk about those things. That would have meant a big, big deal. That would have been, meant a lot to me as a young man, married, trying to make it with my wife and figure out how we were going to honor God and fulfill the responsibilities that we had in front of us. And we had made a few mistakes ourselves financially, and so we were a bit at a hole. And every time we went to church, and I'm serving on a church staff, every time the offering bucket came around, my guilt quotient went up. My frustration quotient went up. And at the core of that wasn't greed but fear. Now, what i discover discovered is that fear is one of the biggest barriers to people giving. Paul dealt with that in, in, in the Corinthian church, and he discovered that while people were very, very motivated to give, sometimes there were these barriers. It's interesting. Uh, in the Old Testament, when David was raising money for the church uh, to build the temple, if you will, and uh, he called on the people as the king to give to that. Here's the attitude he had that I've discovered exists, in a, in, in, at least in our church. Again, I can't talk about other churches. So here's David's words in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. He says, but who am I and who are my people? So this is David the king talking about his kingdom. That we should be able to give as generously as this. Everything comes from you, God. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. This is the attitude that I see happening in a place like this. And so as I think about the myth that people don't want to give, here's what I've discovered. Yeah, they want to. Sometimes they're afraid. Sometimes they have debt. But they're wrestling with the idea that God has already provided and that all that is needed by way of material and financial resources to accomplish all of God's purposes in the world are already in the hands of God's people. And they'd like to give some of that back. And I'm going to tell you how freeing that is to be serving in a church where that's true. Because if that weren't true, it wouldn't take long, we'd have to shut our doors. I mean, the kingdom of God, the work of churches around the world are not funded by some invisible fund or some, you know, uh, tax like has happened maybe in other countries and other times. In the United States, at least, it's all funded by free will offerings of people who want to do it, like Paul was writing about, like David saying, I'm just giving back part of what you've already given to me. So the first myth is people don't want to give. Here's a second myth about money that I've wrestled with. I've really thought about this that if I give messages, I'm giving, people are gonna get angry and they're gonna leave the church. People are gonna get angry and they're gonna leave the church. And I got really, really convicted over this. You know this word convicted? It's like when God leans on you. So it's not guilt that comes from maybe your own experiences, but it's conviction that comes from God's spirit. And so for, for years, I struggled with this and didn't do much with this topic at all. We didn't even provide tools for people, really. In fact, in our first three months of having church services back at the Raves Theater when we started 10, 10 years ago, we were so concerned about money that we got our offering talked down to about 15 seconds. About 15 seconds. It wasn't even enough time for people to write checks. And about the fifth time, somebody said to me, look, I would like to give. I don't have time to write. Would you just stretch out the time a little bit? I thought, well, all right, I can give you, you know, 45 seconds, and over time we've, you know, expanded that just enough time for people who want to give to be able to give. But I really struggled with the idea that if I give a message, somebody's going to leave the church. And here's how God convicted me about it. Um, one, one of my spiritual heroes, I've never met, but I'm looking forward to meeting him in heaven, is a, is a young man by the name of Timothy, a young pastor. And I relate to him not so much because I'm young, but because I feel undeveloped sometimes in my in my maturity. <laughs> So when I read Paul's words to Timothy, I hear a lot that I need to hear. And so Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6 these words when it, when it relates to a pastor and money. He says, now, now just look, look at the sternness of Paul's words to Timothy here. Okay. Behind closed doors, elder pastor to younger pastor, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Boy, It wasn't all that long ago in the history of this country we saw how uncertain wealth can be when we watch land values and retirement values drop significantly, uncontrollable by us. Command people who are rich, who have stuff, not to put their hope in this world, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our, I like this word, enjoyment. God doesn't mind if you enjoy your stuff. This is this good, healthy, biblical theology of money. He actually enjoys you enjoying your stuff. And then he says, instead of commanding them to not put their hope in things in the world, but in, in, into God, he says also, command them to do good, to be rich not just in stuff, but to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they'll lay up for themselves treasures as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Paul tells Timothy, look, don't be afraid. And these words and others in the Bible begin to challenge me and convict me and make me think, you know, it's really not about money. The reason I as a pastor have to talk about money is because Jesus did. And the reason he did is because there's a battle for people's hearts. So this really becomes a discipleship issue. Giving becomes really a discipleship issue. So the truth is, is giving is first an issue of discipleship. And for me as a pastor, to not engage it honestly and directly is to abdicate my call to make disciples. And I don't know if you know this, but that's the only thing pastors are really called to do. We're called to gather people in and help them discover Christ for the first time. We call that salvation. And then to take those who've experienced salvation and grow them up into maturity in their faith. That's called discipleship. That's really the only job we have by God. And so to avoid this whole issue that Jesus spent a lot of time on is to abdicate that responsibility. But a lot of pastors are really scared about this. And on occasion, I feel a certain amount of angst as well. You guys have made it easy. And I'm incredibly grateful for that. Because I've discovered a willingness and a gentleness around this topic that for other churches seems to be like a, a brick wall. So the problem with this myth here that if I give messages on giving that people will get angry and leave the church, here's the problem. The problem with this is that it teaches and it creates passivity in the church towards a major part of discipleship, which is the stewardship of the stuff God's given you. He's given you time, ability, money, resources, relationships, influence, and we're supposed to leverage all of that, or at least... A portion of all of those things back to God's kingdom. And if I don't challenge you on that, then what we've done is we've handicapped all of us in our growth towards maturity as a follower of Jesus. So this myth then excuses the timidity of some church leaders to make stewardship a vital component of discipleship. And Jesus was never this passive about the topic because for him it wasn't about money, it was about people's hearts. So again, Paul's words to the Corinthian church in his second letter that we have, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he writes these words. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Paul was going around collecting money, we heard about that in the first letter, and he discovered a group of people that were struggling themselves, but in the middle of their struggle, they, they like really gave significantly above what would have been normal. And then he writes these words to the Corinthian church, like them, but just as you excel in everything, you're you're good at faith, you're good in your speech, your knowledge, and your complete earnestness, and in your love. He said you should also excel in the gift or in the grace of giving because it's a part of the whole thing. So for me, the struggle of people don't want to give or at least believing that and then coming to terms with the fact that's not true or if I give a message on giving, somebody's going to get angry and leave the church. There was a third thing that I struggled with, is I believed that people knew how to give. And in our church, maybe more than any church I've ever been in, we have people who are willing, but we haven't been in an environment or we haven't practiced for long a pattern or discipline of giving. And so sometimes just learning how to give becomes a big part of fulfilling this piece of our discipleship. So, so here's the truth. Even willing people have to be shown the biblical way to give. And so the key is to start moving towards fully honoring God with your money and to do that in a biblical way. So I want to take you to the key passage in this. It's not all that complicated. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Again, Paul on that first letter trying to raise money for ministry and for the people who are hungry in Jerusalem. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, just look at these words. Here's what Paul writes in terms of how to give. He says, now about the collection for the Lord's people. He says, I'm going to tell you to do what I told the Galatian church to do. And then, and then it just gets very simple here. He says, on the first day of every week, let's, let's pause for a second. So they would work for a week, and on the last day of the work week, they would get paid. Now, now typically, that would be a, a Friday, because on the Sabbath day they would rest. So they'd get paid on the Friday before the very last day of the week. And then Sunday would be the first day of the week. On the first day of the week, so the day after you get paid or the day after you get paid and the day of rest, on the first day of the week, which means uh, right after you've been paid, when you experience some increase, Paul says. And then he says, second phrase, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. So if you get income, then set aside a portion of it. If you don't get income, don't set aside a portion of it. If you lose income, don't set aside a portion of it. But if you get income, set aside a portion of it right after you get it. And then he says, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Put it aside and don't touch it until it's time to give in the offering. So here's the biblical model. Just nothing complicated here. On the first day of the week, which means right after you've been paid, when you've experienced some increase, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. The idea here is proportional, where as your income goes up, your giving goes up. As your income goes down, your giving goes down proportionally. And then he says, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. So the idea here is a protected discipline that you practice over time. And this both frees up the giver and the ministry or frees up the giver and the church because we're not like putting it aside and then when we run out of little money over here or we want to go out to eat over here then we dip into the fund. No, it gets protected. So the, the simple teaching here is, is that if you get increase early on, set aside some money. So what I was able to say to this guy that I had coffee with the other day is, look, dude, you don't have to feel guilty. Every time the offering bucket passes at Four Corners, you shouldn't feel any anxiety at all. What you should do is simply decide what portion of your giving you're going to give and then be done with the question is it going to be $5 a week? Is it 2%? Pray about it, land on an amount, and then quit feeling horrible. Stop struggling. You have the reality of your debt you got to manage. You also want to do this, so let's do something and then quit feeling guilty. So with him, I talked about him starting at about 1% a month of his income right after he gets paid and giving it And then over time, as he's freed up and as he deals with his debt situation, then potentially, if he feels like it, giving more. But I said, you don't ever need to feel guilty. And if you hear us talking about money right now, you don't need to care any guilt about that. And I shared with him that in our church, some people can't give. We have some single moms who really, it would be really like foolish for you to give more than just a couple bucks. Because you have an obligation. And we have other people who can and they won't because maybe they're ignorant or they're struggling with other things or maybe they just don't know how. But then we have a bunch of people at this church who can and do, which is pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing that that happens. So let me just like drill down and show you some of this at Four Corners Church, right? So guys, I'm gonna flip to my, my whiteboard here. So we have, at Four Corners, we have some major generosity going on. We have about 200 households who financially support Four Corners. So these are like addresses. In, in our church, a household is typically about three people. It's typically a husband, wife, and a kid on average, all right? So like if, if that's not you, on average as a part of the group, that's where we are. So 200 households give, and that represents about 600 people, all right, who give uh, to the life of this church. Let's see here. Now, we have two numbers that we monitor every Sunday. We have a big attendance and a small attendance that we monitor. So these are households that call Four Corners home. About 200 households a week, that's the blue number, show up. About 600 people a week. All right. But then in a, in a, over a quarter, over three months, the truth is, is it's not the same 600 people every week. There's about 900 people or an additional hundred households who call this church home. So about 900 people call Four Corners home. If you ask them where they go to church, they tell you Four Corners. Some of you don't see them because you come on alternating Sundays. Average person around here is coming just over two times a month. And so you can see how that there's a big attendance number and a small attendance number. The account on Sunday is the smaller number. All right? So together, about 600 people on average, now not the attendance, but the people who give, give about $630,000 a year towards Four Corners. And this generally covers our operating expenses, or it gets close at least. By the way, this is not so bad. This is actually a pretty good good thing. So let's just look at the numbers here. Again, these, these are households. The blue is people who attend and give regularly, about 200 households. People who attend and don't give regularly is about 100 households. And then, interestingly enough, we have four households who do not attend, but they give regularly. These are friends of mine from when I was a kid. They send money in, and um, they just believe in the ministry. It's pretty amazing that that would happen. I'd love to see that number go up, because these people, they don't ever call you. <laughs> they, they never have a problem. They just, like, they just, like, give, which is kind of amazing. So, they, don't ever have they never tell me the music's too loud. They never say it's cold in here. It's kind of <laughs> awesome. So... Now, here's, here's where it gets really interesting. It's about average giving per these 200 households. If you're in ages 20 to 29, the average giving per week is about eight bucks or $416 a year. Do, do you see how $8 a week really adds up to a big impact? It's pretty, pretty incredible. If you're age 30 to 39, you give about on average $24 a week or $1,248 a year. And if you're over 40, you tend to give about $49 per household, not per person, per household per week, or about $2,548 a year. And you take that times the 200, do the math on this, we get to about 630. Now, beyond the 630, there's some other giving for like... um, the girls in India we sponsor, we, we can't count that because we can't spend that on electric bills, all right? We can't pay uh, uh, utilities with that because that goes to those girls, that's designated money. And sometimes like if you buy a book, it goes back to, so this is like the free budget money that we have, all right? Let's do a little reality check. So a little reality check, at $54,000 a year income for average house, the median income in Westchester is 84000 a year, in Liberty, it's about 101000 a year, in Mason, a year. Fairfield's about $54,000 a year. So I just took the lower one. If you're a 20-something and your income's about $54,000 a year and you're given $416, that's about 0.7% of your income being given to the church. It's about national average. If you're a 30-something and you're giving about $1,248 per household to the year and your income's about $54,000 a year, you're giving about 2.1% of your income to the church. And if you're a 40, 50, or 60 your old person, and you're giving $2,548 a year, and your income's about 54, you're giving about 4.2% of your income to the church. These, these are pretty national averages. Now, in our church, the numbers are a little lower than the national average because we have so many people who weren't involved in church until here, and guess what we do with that? It's okay. We take our time. We're more interested in your heart than your wallet, but over time, we hope that you'll take discipleship fully serious, and you'll step in. I wanted you to see the numbers here, because for me, that's a big deal. Let me tell you what this tells me as a pastor. It doesn't tell me that we need more money. That's not what these numbers tell me, although I feel that tension on occasion. It tells me that we have some growing and discipling to do in this issue. For a lot of us, we're going to spend two, three, and four times this amount of money over the next 30 days in Christmas, and that's okay. Buying gifts for people we love. There's nothing wrong with that. God likes us to enjoy that, but somewhere in your head, not in a guilt-producing way, you should be thinking through, has God blessed me with this stuff? And if he has, what do I want to give back? And that's a decision for you to make. But I can't be concerned that you're going to get angry at me for just preaching the Bible. That's, that's the tension I feel and pastors feel. So that's the kind of the reality check for us. So let's, let's talk about this. In 2015, here's what the staff and I are praying for. Now, this is not something you have to do. It's what we're praying for. We're praying for 150 families. So maybe that 100 that call us home that don't give and maybe 50 more of those who do to give $10 more a week than they currently do. Now, listen, if you can't, you should just ignore what I'm saying for the next five minutes, all right? Don't, don't worry about this. But if you can, here's what we're asking. And we would like, number two, for 90% of all of our giving to come in automated via our website versus in the offering buckets because we can see what that is and we can budget better our cash flow. And then finally, here's the real reason. We're praying for a capacity of 1,000 people a weekend in this building. Right now, we don't have that. We've been getting our space ready. We're close. We have a little bit of parking work to do in the back and in the front. We're close. But we believe that what God wants us to do is to be ready for 1,000 people. And to do that, our budget has to grow. Our staff hang has to grow. Our building has to shift just a little. We have a little bit of ministry capacity to work on in the first quarter of 2015 And part of that is is people who call this church home, giving a little more money. And so ten thousand, or I'm sorry, ten thousand. Ten dollars a week, that was a Freudian slip right there. You ten dollars a week. um, for a lot of folks it's not that big of a deal. You barely miss it. For those of you that are giving, going to automated would be a major change uh, for us. By the way, if you, like, if you don't see a lot of people putting money in the offering bucket, that's because right now, about 62% of people who give to the church do it automated. They don't ever write a check. They don't ever drop change in the bucket. Uh, they do that online at home, all right? So this is what we're praying for. So let me, ask you, let me tell you what you can do. I'm wondering if you'd be willing to give $10 more a week than you currently do. So maybe if you're new to the church, you don't give anything. You think about giving $10 a week. And if you can't, guess what? Don't. If you're angry, don't. If you don't believe in this church, don't, all right? It's okay. But this would be a major game changer getting us ready for what we think God wants to do in 2015. So $10 a week, $44 a month, or $520 a year would go a long way per household. So if you don't, like, start here. you got to Start somewhere with giving. Engage that conversation so that you're not victim to the guilt and the shame every time it comes up. Feel good about it. Decide and then be done. If you are giving and you're not giving where you want, think about adding $10 a week. I'd love it if everybody in the room would consider automating your giving. You just go to www.fourcornerschurch.com. And you take about five minutes to set it up the first time, and then you can adjust it, turn it on, turn it off as much as you want. But if, let's say you're giving already maybe 20 bucks a week. If you do that online, it allows us to see what's coming, and that impacts our cash flow and spending, and it has a significant impact on our ability to steward the money to the best way possible. And then the final thing is, is we'd love for you to use the uh, the My Christmas Gift offering that we're doing to kind of jumpstart your giving. This is a great way to get up to speed. So between now and the end of the year, give it to My Christmas Gift, watch the money make a major impact, and then come January, make this a regular habit for you. This is what we're asking you to consider doing, but if you can't, honestly, it's all right. If you can, let me tell you what it's going to accomplish. I think what will happen is we'll be moving towards full obedience as disciples of Jesus. And the truth is, as some of us need to take Paul's words, you do well at all these other things, now begin to excel in the grace of giving. And for some of us, it literally is as simple as $10 a week. I think that we'll be investing in eternity and laying up real treasures in heaven. Lives really will be changed. I think we're going to move more from a surviving towards thriving as a church. We got into this building, and for two years, we've been just kind of surviving, trying to let the church congregation catch up with the ministry that we're offering. That's okay place to be. We just can't stay there for forever. And we're going to be better able to dream about all that God's going to have us do in North Cincinnati, both inside and outside our walls. I like this one. We will have done it together, large and small gifts. We're going to operate like a family. And this is what really jazzes me as a pastor when I'm sitting around with other pastors. I get to talk about, here's what this church does. I can't believe how God uses us. I can't believe how he takes what we do and makes it go further. And I can't believe we get to do it together. I want you to experience the win of the Christmas gift when you get the stories in February, March, April, through the end of 2015 about what happened. I want you to be a part of that. I want you to feel like you're a part of what's happening. Here's another thing that's going to happen we're going to make a real dent in the kingdom of darkness that holds captive men, women, and children, and we're going to see God's kingdom grow. I don't know of a church in North Cincinnati that does a better job of helping families grow together and grow towards Christ in our church. That's why even if I didn't attend here or pastor here, you know, this weren't my job, I would look at this church and think it was a good investment of my money because I can literally look around the room and see people whose lives are being impacted because of my giving. And then finally, I think we will have invested in fertile soil, because I think 4C is a great investment. So one more time, look at this chart, 8, 24, and 49. So like, what do you want to give? Like, you don't have to answer me. You know, in fact, you don't have to answer today. In fact, you shouldn't feel any pressure to make a single decision today. But somewhere in your discipleship process, you should probably think about what you want to give in a way that isn't fueled by hurt, anger, frustration, or fear. But just for you and your family, how are you going to take Jesus' words and Paul's words about money seriously for you? So we can make some small steps but have a big impact. It's amazing what $10 more a week will do in the life of our church. And most of us will barely miss it, but for Four Corners, we'd feel it immediately. And we'd be able to come into 2015 stronger, ready for 1,000 people a weekend as opposed to about 600. And we would be ready, I think, for bigger impact in this community, which is really what we're all in this for anyway. We're in this so that God can grow us and we can reach outside these walls to others. There's my talk about money. And if you're mad at me, I'm really sorry. But at the end of the day, we have to have conversations like this because we're not here to just feel good about us We're here to do the work that God's called us to do, and we can't do that outside of God's plan. And God's plan was that he would bless you with stuff more than you need in hopes that you would be a good steward of what you need, and you'd be able to give some of that back to the work that he's doing in this world. And no matter what I say, what I don't say, that will always be God's plan. And I want you to be a part of that. So towards that end, why don't you take out your connect card, and let's take a few steps together as a congregation. Well, I've been talking about money, but really we've been talking about your heart. So next step A for us every week is the same. Today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. I'd love to give you a chance right now in this Christmas season to open the greatest gift this world has ever seen. And that's the person of Jesus who came in the form of a baby, lived a perfect life, gave his life on a cross, and was resurrected from the grave. Putting your faith and trust in him can connect you to God. He becomes your Savior and your Lord. We ask you to check next step A, as an indication of your faith. And in a moment when I pray, use my words, use your own, and look to God. Say, God, I agree with what your Bible says about me. I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. Would you save me? Would you become the leader of my life? If you want to do that, check the box, put the card in the offering bucket when it comes by at the end of the service, and we'll communicate with you about that. Here's next step B. Today, I'm choosing to get baptized. In a couple of weeks, I'll share with you the stats of all the next step A's and next step B's for this year. I think it might blow you away. We almost don't go any week. I mean, it's rare for us to go a single week that somebody doesn't take next step A in this room. This church is on the front lines of ministry. And on occasion, you get to see some of those that are being celebrated in baptism. But the impact of your giving goes a long way and impacts eternity. So next step B says, Hey, I'll take a bold step, and I'll give at least $10 a week to the Tithe and Offering Fund at Four Corners starting today. If you're ready to do it, go ahead. If you're not, it's okay. Nobody here is pressuring you. All right? Here's next step D. Who would say, hey, I'll take a a bold step and increase my giving by $10 extra a week starting today? And then finally, next step E, for those of us that need a little time to process I have some praying to do and thinking to do concerning my giving with Four Corners Church. So pray with me about my giving and we'll join with you in prayer. Nobody's going to strong arm you. Nobody's going to press you. You're not going to get a nasty letter from us. This is about people freely giving back to God what God has given some of them and it's about us taking that money and doing incredible ministry with it. So Black Friday, Buy Local Saturday, Cyber Monday, and on Sunday, what if we just called it generosity sunday and maybe today tomorrow you make a decision to invest more into your church let's pray about these things right now father i want to thank you that i get the privilege of talking to people who are incredibly generous and i've never really experienced what i've heard other pastors talk about this anger and kind of vitriol about the subject of money and god i know that some of us come into this room wounded broken hurt We've been taken advantage of. God, I pray that you wouldn't let those experiences impact our receptivity to what you would speak to us. No, God, what you would do instead is you would grow our heart past the hurt. And Lord, where there's ignorance, would you give us knowledge? And where there's willingness, would you show us a way? God, I want to pray for just a moment against fear that if I give, I won't be able to do all that I want. God, help us to think soberly and wisely. And not give in to guilt. Lord Jesus, I pray for those people right now who are choosing to make you their Savior and Lord. And I pray for those people, God, who are this week going to do some serious heart work around giving and money. I pray this in the name of Jesus, the strong and holy Son of God. Amen and amen.